to the Med Street Journal. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Med Street Journal podcast sponsored by Open Loop, a choice of partner for telehealth. Companies across the U.S. looking to scale their virtual care services. Check them out at openloophealth.com. Today I'm joined by another very special guest, Ms. Becky Sanders, the Executive Director of Telehealth Services for Opus Physician Services. She comes to Opus with nearly 15 years of experience in rural healthcare and telehealth. She holds a master's in business administration with a focus on healthcare administration, as well as lean healthcare black belt. Interesting. So I'm excited to have her on, learn a little bit more about her story and what she's working on over at Opus. So with that being said, Becky, welcome. Thank you. I'm honored to be part of your show today. No problem. So why don't we give people a brief background of who you are, how you ended up at Opus, and what you're looking to, what you're working on in the healthcare space right now. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So the short story is networking is king. The path in life that led me to um, come back to Indiana after 15 years was through contacts that I'd made in the telecommunications arena and uh, started working for the Indiana Rural Health Association. Uh, worked there for 13 years and then got an opportunity to join Opus Physician Services and really a telehealth division from scratch. Opus, historically in their 10 plus years of being a physician staffing company, really focused on the model for staffing providers in the emergency departments of critical access hospitals and other rural healthcare facilities. And with COVID, they've been getting additional requests for providers for telehealth specialties, things like stroke or behavioral health care, where they don't have the smaller rural hospitals don't have the need for a full-time provider, but they'd like to have someone on call or on nights and weekends um, to relieve their day staff. So just having the resources available to be able to fill in gaps as needed and right. not everybody needs somebody full-time or has the resources or bandwidth to be able to do so you can help them create an infrastructure to fill those gaps. Yes, absolutely. So in my previous role as the program director of the Upper Midwest Telehealth Resource Center, which is a federally funded program under HRSA, I covered a four-state region, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, and Ohio, and we were able to provide resources throughout our website and in webinars and one-on-one question and answer sessions to help people start telehealth programs. And I think we all know if we've paid any attention to the news or the media over the last 24 months or so, that with COVID, um, telehealth went from this little thing that a very small amount of people had paid attention to and were rallying around to a totally different way of thinking about patient care. And we see in the news stories today, many companies talking about virtual first and using audio video connections to do a a virtual triage of patients, take care of any um, acute needs, any prescriptions, and behavioral health is one of the biggest areas where we see 50% of the growth of telehealth claim lines in behavioral health situations. Nice, and you talked about having like different one-on-ones and webinars and stuff, and 
at the end of the day, you're just educating the market on what opportunities and what better solutions are out there. But from your experiences, from your experience, what have been the most effective methods of educating people on the importance of telehealth service? My preference, honestly, is to actually be in person with people at a conference where we can have a dialogue throughout our presentation and then follow up with individual questions. Um, it's hard to do webinars when you can't see the reactions of your audience or those that are listening to the presentation. Many years ago when I got my bachelor's degree, my bachelor's is actually in theater. And in acting, you, you use some of those acting skills when you're doing presentations as well. Interesting. I like it. And so you have tap on the pulse of all these different markets. And you said you started to see growth more specifically in behavior health. But what sort of other trends do you see within the telehealth space as far as not even just behavioral health, but what other verticals, what other mm -hmm. trends are you seeing? Sure. Absolutely. There's been a lot of movement in various disciplines for telehealth. Stroke networks are very common. You know, when you, when a person has a stroke, that time from, to get them to whatever facility, they're, they're at home and then they need to get to an emergency department. Time is brain matter or a heart attack. Time is heart muscle. And the sooner that they can be seen and the proper medication administered, the better off the outcome is going to be for that particular patient. There's also been great movement in the maternal health care. And we start talking about uh, infant mortality or maternal mortality and telehealth follow-ups, even like things like chronic care management and remote patient monitoring. If we look at the 2022 physician fee schedule that Medicare put out, we're seeing additional codes for remote patient monitoring and using technology to get data from patients in their everyday lives if they're diabetic and getting their blood sugars or they're, they have COPD and checking on their weight um, to see if it's fluctuating, if they have hypertension and, and checking uh, their blood pressure, those types of things. And getting that data to a care coordinator at the doctor's office or within a health system to be able to monitor that patient throughout the day, throughout the week, instead of just these, you know, 15 minute snapshots when you go into the doctor. There's been a lot of, there, there are a lot of studies out there and a lot of programs are testing the use of this type of technology. And they're seeing lots of savings because they're able to avoid patients going into the emergency department. They're able to catch them when they see fluctuations um, in their everyday living. Nice, and you mentioned some good points right there. And I think like how important is it, especially to the patients, but to the healthcare providers to be able to track and monitor different data and information that is available because just for one patient, like you said, it's way better to have multiple data points within a certain time period versus what's already happening, which is like one brief data point prolonged over 
however mm-hmm. many times that visit is right. happened, you know. Yeah, you think about it. If you've got a chronic condition, I always like to use diabetes because I'm a parent of a type one diabetic. So my the technology has is leaps and bounds above what it was 50, 70 years ago when insulin was first discovered. My daughter wears a constant glucose manager or a CGM, and it takes her blood sugar every minute. And that data can be shared with multiple phones, multiple cellular phones through an app. So we can see how her data is trending over time. You know, if she has been exercising and her blood sugar is starting to tank, we can catch it and have her drink some juice or some fast acting carbohydrates before she crashes, before she has any need of going to the doctor, we can mitigate that. And it's a good predictor as well of what her A1C is going to be when we go to the doctor and get her labs pulled every three months. And then also she has an insulin pump. So it's like an artificial pancreas. And if you do any research into type one diabetes, you'll see that the technology there is expanded rapidly as well. But the ability for us to use telehealth with her endocrinologist saves us a lot of time and travel. And then the devices that she has, someone at the doctor's office can literally log into her account and see what her blood sugars have been over the last three months since she's been in to the office and how much insulin she's administered to herself. That's crazy. So then on the flip side, what would be some consequences of companies and organizations that are slow to adopt this new sort of infrastructure that they can integrate into their business that has all these benefits Mm -hmm. to the end user and patient. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So their patients um, and their providers are, they're missing out on the opportunity to have better information and possibly better outcomes based on that information for their patients. Nice. So as far as like your role, what you guys do, you pretty much come in to these hospitals and organizations and figure out how to figure out what they're doing and how they can leverage telehealth solutions into their existing workflows, right? Yes, absolutely. Opus is a physician staffing company. Whether we provide a physician to come in person or via telehealth, it's really the same thing. And we're able to do either or both to best meet the needs of the healthcare facility. Nice. So when you're working with these healthcare facilities, how do you, what's the process that you go in order to identify which parts of your business to prioritize as far as integrating some sort of telehealth solution? Mm-hmm. If there's all these different options available, which one should be mm-hmm. first? Yeah, it really depends upon the need of the individual healthcare facility, we ask questions, what's keeping you up at night? What are your pain points? What kind of data are you looking at in your electronic medical record? What do your dashboards show? What what are you looking for in your emergency department? Are you looking at throughput times? Are you looking at acuity of visits? And based on the information we get back, we can help tailor a program to best meet their needs. Ah, okay. Nice. Yeah, we've been covering a lot about like telehealth and whatnot, but one more question I have is what sort of advice would you have for these different companies that are looking to explore the world of telehealth if they haven't already? And what 
should be their first step. Obviously, they can send me an email or contact us through our contact us page on the opus.com, but really just be open-minded and allow yourself to think outside of the box. Awesome. That wraps up our main meat part of the interview, but I like to end each interview on a little lighter exercise with something I call the rapid fire round. So I'm going to ask you a list of questions and you give me whatever answers you come up with. Okay. All right. Question number one, what is your favorite book of all time? My favorite book of all time. I like to read a lot and the type, the genre of book that I read depends upon my mood. If I'm reading to learn for, for work-related things, probably my all-time favorite book is Who Moved My Cheese or Who Moved, what is it? Who, Who Moved the Cheese by Spencer Johnson. If I'm reading for romance and lighthearted stuff, I'm probably going to pick up a Nora Roberts book. And on my mind heavily today is Anne Rice and all of the Mayfair Witches books and Interview with the Vampire series that she wrote because she passed away yesterday. Oh, rest in peace. Um, number two, who is the most influential person in your life or career? Wow. In my life, it's got to be my parents and with the conservative upbringing that they gave me and the encouragement to do anything that the not the the positive support to tell me all the time that I could do whatever it was that I wanted to do um, if I had a goal that I could I could achieve it and work I've had a couple of managers uh, that have been great visionaries and supported me I always knew that they had my back. One of my early managers, Kristen Bedford Santoro, this was in a time when computers were just starting on, and I guess that gives you an idea of my age, but we would print voluminous boxes of paper to send to the Federal Communications Commission. And Kristen would always come in in a pantsuit or a business suit and always be dressed to the nines, perfect hair and nails and shoes and everything. And she would sit down on the floor with us in her nice outfit and go through all this paper and help spot check it before we sent it off. She was never afraid to ask us to do something that she wasn't willing to do herself. Interesting. It's awesome to have amazing influences like that in your life. Um, number three, what's one goal you want to accomplish this next year? My, that's, that's a hard one. Some of the, I, I think maybe thinking more before I speak. <laughs> nice. And then last but not least, what is one piece of advice you would give to your 20-year-old self? Many moons have passed since I was 20. I think just be true to yourself. You can't appreciate a partner in a relationship until you love yourself and are happy with yourself. Perfect. Wonderful piece of advice. Excellent way to wrap up today's interview. Becky, I just want to thank you again for jumping on and sharing your experience and what you're working on and the impact you're looking to make within the healthcare space. But before you go, where can people learn more about you? Where can they connect with you? Go ahead. Sure. I'm on LinkedIn. So if you want to search for Becky Sanders on LinkedIn, or my profile is also available on the opus.com website. And you can reach out to me through the either through LinkedIn or through the contact us page on our website. Awesome. And I'll be sure to include all those links in the resources section. But with that being said, that ends today's interview. Hope you guys got some value out of this one. I know I did. 
I'll catch you guys on the next one.